Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, we're back into Acts. Remember, we took a little break from Acts through Advent, but we're still continuing this story that we find the fifth book in the Bible where we are uncovering the early church history, the earliest church history. And you might remember that uh, what we've seen so far is sort of the first section of this story. In the very first chapter, Jesus made a promise. And that promise was that when the Holy Spirit came on the church, they would be his witnesses. They'd be filled with power, and they'd be witnesses to Jesus wherever they went. That was the promise Jesus gave right at the start of the story, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And then, how you can read all the rest of Acts is the Holy Spirit coming and fulfilling that promise. So in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the church, this little group of 120, about our size, fills them with the Holy Spirit, and they begin immediately to point others to Jesus. And then what we see is this just gets repeated over and over again in a lot of different ways. The Holy Spirit continues to fulfill the promise that Jesus made that they would be his witnesses all over in their hometown and eventually all over the world. Promise given, promise being fulfilled. And uh, this is one of the sort of the things you see if you look at the whole of Acts. It's, it kind of divides into six sections. We've finished the first section of Acts. We finished that just before Advent. And every time Luke wraps up kind of a section in Acts, he always has a little bit of a conclusion where he says, basically, status update, this is how it's going, particularly with reference to the mission. And so right at the very end of, of the section that we finished, right after the choosing of the seven, uh, you know, to, to help the widows and all that, um, we hear this little um, summary in verse 7 of chapter 6, which says, So the word of God spread... The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to faith. That's the wrap-up. So it's really nice. And then now we're launching into another section. And what the story does now continues here to show the expansion of the church that now begins to circle out of Jerusalem. Everything that's happened so far has been contained right within the hub of things, around the temple. They're even meeting in a porch on, on, just outside the temple, as well as in people's homes. Everything's been happening centered around that. <coughs> but now, things are going to change. Now, why did that expansion begin to happen? It's a great question. Was it that, um, hmm, they decided, you know, we should reach out more. We should... Really, we shouldn't be hoarding this to ourselves. We should start going further out and let people know, actually, that's not what happened. Was it that they sat down and did some strategic planning? They got out whiteboards and they decided, let's plot how. Jesus said the promise he gave to us was that we be his witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How do we get there? No, they didn't do that. They didn't put up any whiteboards. There were no flip charts involved, none whatsoever. Was it that they were just getting a bit cramped? You know, the, the porch outside the temple was now jammed with thousands of people, and we thought, let's, let's, let's move on from here. That isn't what happened at all. Why did they begin to expand beyond Jerusalem? Well, the fact is, the church at this point was doing very well, and they were very comfortable. They were content to stay put. Safe, 
secure, stable people, (laughs) churches, who enjoy safe, stable, comfortable community, don't often actually go anywhere. Because, shoot, it's cozy at home. Why would I do that? Why would I disrupt my cozy life? Why would I take off my slippers when it's so nice here at home? Right? Funny how things have not changed at all. And it often takes a seismic, you know, interruption in our lives to move us out of our comfort zone. And that's why personal growth, often when it happens in our lives, is connected often to something difficult, right? We get some bad news from the doctor and all of a sudden we are health gurus, right? A spouse says, you know what, I want to quit on our marriage. And all of a sudden we are getting serious about that relationship that we've been neglecting. Or maybe we start taking our Christian faith or even Christian theology more seriously because someone in our lives that we thought was rock solid in their faith has suddenly joined some wacko group. And we're thinking, what? How did that happen? So we start reading. We start studying. We start taking our faith more seriously. Well, today's story in Acts is all about this kind of seismic interruption where the ground suddenly shifts underneath the feet of the early church. And as painful and as harrowing as it was, it actually took this kind of difficulty to shake these Christians loose from their comfort zone. The Holy Spirit used the pain of persecution to propel them further into the promise that Jesus gave, the promise that they would be his witnesses. So, in the story today, the primary character is Stephen. Now, Stephen, we already heard about. He was one of the seven Greek-speaking Jews who was commissioned or appointed by the church to take care of these widows who were being neglected. Remember that? We just looked at it. It was a little while ago, but at the start of Acts chapter 6, these seven uh, men were told are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, and they're appointed to take care of this, and Stephen is one of them. Philip is another. We're going to hear a little bit more about Philip coming up. But first, Stephen. And Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr. His martyrdom unleashes a wave of persecution that the Holy Spirit then used to push the church out of its comfort at home and into its missional zone. That's what the Holy Spirit used. Now, in the history of the church, witness and martyrdom have been very closely tied. I don't do this to you very often, but you might find it interesting I find it interesting that the Greek word for witness is martyrium, martyr. It's the same word we use in English for the word martyr. It comes from the Greek word for witness. So they're very, very tied, very interconnected. What inspires me so much about Stephen's story is the way that his life, his suffering, his death, how much it mirrors, emulates, imitates Jesus' own ministry, suffering and death. And that's what I'd like to share with you today. Because when I hear Stephen's story, when I see the way that Jesus' life shaped Stephen's life, I'm inspired that that Jesus' life would shape mine in the same way. I'm inspired in particular, uh, as I studied it, that there are five ways that Stephen's life looked just like Christ, which helps me see how our Christian witness looks like Christ in those same five ways. So let's read it together. Um, We're going to start in Acts chapter 6. Uh, verse 8, and I'll, I'll read some parts of it, and then, and, you know, we'll, we'll walk through it. So here it is, Acts chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 8. Now Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power, 
And he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition rose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Remember, these will all be Greek speakers here. That's, that's how they're connected to Stephen. They began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? Let's just pause there for a minute. What comes next is Stephen's response, which is most of chapter 7, and we're going to only summarize that today. But I want you to see first how much of Jesus is already shining through in Stephen's life. And as a result, it's that kind of shining through that I think we also see in our witness, or we're encouraged uh, to emulate in our witness. First, in daily ministry. Stephen, we're told, is full of grace and power. And as a result of the Holy Spirit's work through him, there was great wonders and miraculous signs being done. Now, this might sound extreme to you. It might sound like, whoa, and some of the things we've been seeing as the Holy Spirit came on the church. But what's it really saying here? What it's saying is that Stephen was ministering to others just like Jesus had. That the ministry Jesus had among the people was now being continued in the life of his people, the life of the church. And friends, the same Holy Spirit who was filling Stephen, as well as Philip, as well as Peter, as well as all the people who were there, that same Holy Spirit is filling us with grace and power now. So that we are able to minister to others in the name of Jesus. We are able in the power of the Spirit to pray for healing. We are able in the, in the power of the Spirit to, to love into people's lives and to show them what Christ has done for us and what He can do for them. That we go about doing what Jesus did, loving by the Spirit others in the name of Christ. And this happens in, in big ways and in small ways. Remember, Stephen himself was, was appointed for what? To, to oversee food distribution. But apparently the job description didn't quite fit because what he ended up doing was what we see. I think it reminds us of something. It wasn't so simple to read. If we read back the first part of the story when he was appointed, we realized to be filled with spirit and wisdom meant doing the ministry of Jesus in the context that they were in. And these seven that were appointed, they weren't like appointed to be these seven guys that sort of, you know, sit down, shut up, make sure everybody gets fed. But rather they were, they were appointed because it was evident that God is at work in their lives and then God continued to use them to minister in the way of Jesus in big ways and in small ways. Being bold in service, but also being bold in prayer. Bold to help others find and follow Jesus. So that's the first way, our daily ministry. And the second way that Jesus shapes our witness is with the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives. You know, Stephen, when he was opposed, it says that they couldn't stand up to him. They couldn't, they couldn't beat him at, you know, it wasn't that they were just having arguments, but there was a wisdom in what Stephen was saying that they couldn't confound, which is also very similar to Jesus. When you read through the Gospels all the time, right? People, 
just they try to stump Jesus all the time, but they can't. And then Jesus actually told his followers, hey, hey, when you get hauled up in front of kings, you get hauled up in front of people that are upset with you, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will give you the words you need to say. Jesus promised them that. Here we have that promise being fulfilled in Stephen's own life because of the wisdom the Spirit gave him. He's able to, to speak with clarity and with, with, with real conviction in a way that people can't stump him. The Holy Spirit not only fills us with the ability to minister in the name of Jesus, love others like Jesus, but also to speak about the way Jesus worked in our lives. The way that he is active in the world and in ways that, it isn't again about just winning an argument, but in ways that are profound and, and make people listen and, and pay attention. Because God's Spirit is in us. We're told in another half-brother of Jesus, he said, when we lack wisdom, we're to do what? We're to ask God for wisdom and know that he'll give it to us. The Holy Spirit in us gives us the wisdom to engage and speak. Now, I think it's important to recognize that one of the ways that, or maybe even the primary way, the Holy Spirit grows that wisdom in us is through the Scripture. It is through God's Word. In the covenant, we have six affirmations, and two of them relate directly to this. One of them is that we believe, we affirm a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, but also that we affirm the authority of all of Scripture over our lives. And it's the coming together of the Scripture and the Spirit that produces wisdom as we live that out. How does wisdom grow in our lives? When we act in obedience to what God has said through the Scripture under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's how wisdom grows. Last week, you may have missed it, but last week um, I spoke about um, the importance of mes- memorizing the Scripture so that we can meditate on it. And I encourage you to go and listen to that uh, if you haven't, because I kind of put a challenge out there for our community to take seriously the memorization of Scripture this year. And um, it's a challenge I'd like to keep bringing back to us. But I want to just say, that's how wisdom grows in us. As we take in God's word and we live that out, the Holy Spirit grows us in wisdom. And that emulates Jesus. Third, we see how Stephen seizes opposition to his witness as an opportunity for further witness. He really takes the opportunity. He is hauled up in front of these guys. And I don't know, a lot of us might feel we'd be shaking in our boots, but just as the Holy Spirit had promised his followers back or just as Jesus had promised his followers, the Holy Spirit gives Stephen the wisdom to speak. And he takes what would be opposition to witness. They're trying to shut him down as a platform for further witness. And I think that's powerful. I think there's something in there for us. That perhaps in those very times when we're feeling opposition, we're feeling shut down, we're feeling pushed away, that there's an opportunity in there. And it may be very unique. It may that We have to be super creative about it. But there's also always an opportunity to show the love of Christ through the way that we live and act and speak. To take opposition to witness as an opportunity for witness, which is something Jesus continually did. Because like Jesus, we sometimes get pushback, and sometimes from unexpected sources, and sometimes that pushback is really unfair. It struck me that Stephen also had false witnesses trumped up against him, just like Jesus. And there could be opportunities in there just to cry foul. Hey, you're not being fair. But what we realize is that even in the unfairness, there's an opportunity, an opportunity for further witness. I don't know about you, but I frequently get pushback from certain people about um, how far 
maybe I'm willing to go to invest in someone's life or to love them up close. And uh, that can come sometimes from people who would follow Jesus and they're upset about something. I've had that opportunity over the years. But I've also had the opposite, where people far outside the Christian faith um, just don't get why, why I or why we would, would love and care for someone like that, whatever that is. And each of those times when I've felt like I've received pushback, sometimes fairly strong pushback, maybe someone who's been caught in prejudice or Christianity is all about rule keeping or someone who is a vision of the Christian faith that's really not true to Jesus. Those are opportunities when we receive that pushback to, to more clearly explain gently with kindness who Jesus really is. In the pushback, there is opportunity. In the opposition, we take that opportunity uh, for witness. Well, now we come to the rest of chapter 7, which is Stephen's speech. And I'm just going to summarize it, because what he does when the high priest says, are these charges true? Then what Stephen does, and I think for a lot of us as readers, and I encourage you to sit down so we can read it, we kind of think, for most of Stephen's speech, we're like, what is he doing? Because really what he does is a big history lesson for a bunch of people who know that history really well. So he goes, he reaches all the way back and he starts with Abraham and then he moves through to Moses and then he's talking about, or Joseph, sorry, and then he talks about Moses and then he quickly mentions David and Psalm. He kind of does the who's who name drop of the Jewish people, right? And, and all the way along, you're like, why is he telling this story to people who already know the story? Until he comes to the clincher at the end. At the very end, he, he finishes with a very powerful, very hard-hitting challenge. And it sounds, um, well, it sounds harsh. Uh, I'll, I'll read it. It's in seven, uh, chapter 7, uh, 51 to 53. After talking about how the Most High, he quotes from Isaiah, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, you know, where am I resting place be? Then he says, you stiff-necked people. Remember who he's speaking to? The people that have, you know, they're, wanting to kill him. This is not helping his defense. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. Oh, there's a clue, there's a clue to how, what he's been doing before, and I'll come back to it. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. That's the clue. We don't have time to get into it this morning, but that's the clue. If you take what Stephen, how he concludes the speech, and then you read his story again, what he did is he, he showed how each step of the way through history, there were people who resisted what God was doing through his chosen people. They resisted what God was doing through Abraham. They resisted what God was doing through Moses. They resisted what God was doing through David. You know, that kind of thing. And so what he's, what he's trying to do at the end is to really punch hard in love to help these guys see that they're aligning with the wrong side of history. They're, they're aligning with those who've opposed what God was doing. They did it with Jesus. They're doing it now with Stephen. He finishes very powerfully. He does it, though, motivated that they would see and repent and turn and follow Jesus. As hard-hitting and as, as strong as his language is, his desire is that they would come to know Jesus. Which leads us though, to the fourth way Christian witness looks a lot like Christ, and that is in its cruciform suffering. Because what he does here is the linchpin. It's the thing that, because they are unwilling to hear, unwilling to repent, unwilling to turn, it causes 
the next thing to happen. I'll, I'll, read, I'll read what happens next. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, heard this challenge at the end, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses, to be the false witnesses, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. The truth is, Stephen shows us that we can suffer like Jesus, even to the point of dying like him. It's very clear in this story that Stephen so deeply identified with Christ, with Christ's own life, with Christ's own suffering, even the, the, the way that Christ himself was hauled in front of the courts and falsely accused and then, and then killed as a result of his truth and his testimony. Stephen so deeply identifies with it that he is now, as it were, mirroring Christ's death. There's a way in which he's participating in the death of Christ in his own life. And I find this deeply compelling, especially when I face difficulty in my own life. There's a few things that really stand out to me in Stephen's um, experience here. And the first thing, and it relates, I think, to the way that we experience difficulty, maybe even difficulty when it comes to witness for Christ. The first is in who we see. When Stephen is at this moment of greatest trial, People are throwing rocks at him. They're going to kill him. Stephen looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus, as it were, waiting for him. He sees Jesus exactly where Jesus said he would be. Because if you look back in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, when he was in front of Pilate, Jesus told Pilate, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And now Stephen himself in a place of dying, looks up and sees Jesus exactly where Jesus said he would be. In our death, in our suffering, we can look to Christ and know that even when rocks are being thrown, Christ is still seated on the throne. That's a, that's a big deal. Even when rocks are being thrown at me, Christ is on his throne. He's still the king. Whatever happens to me, guess where I'm going? To be with him. He's exactly where he said he would be. And who we see in the time of suffering and trial makes all the difference. It's also how we suffer. That we can suffer as Jesus suffered. We've already talked about this. Stephen, false witnesses are, 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 are brought up. He's, he's essentially helpless before the mob. Just like Jesus, he didn't fight back, but he took it. I don't know, but it struck me at the end. He falls asleep. Hello? What? Fall, what? He fell asleep while people are throwing rocks at him. I mean, I know it's a bit of a euphemism, but there's such a peace there that he suffered like Christ. It also highlights who we trust when we're at the end of ourselves. Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Who else prayed that prayer? Jesus himself in Luke chapter 23, 46 said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see how Stephen is like literally like emulating 
Even what Jesus was saying, Stephen was saying as he was dying. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what Jesus said. And now Stephen says to Jesus, Lord, receive my spirit. There's such trust in that. There's such acknowledgement of who's really in charge. My life, my death, I trust. And then the fourth is how we forgive, particularly those who hurt us. How we forgive those who hurt us really points people to Christ. Jesus was on the cross in Luke 23 as well. And he said, while he was nailed to the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen says, do not hold this sin against them. In the moment of greatest trial, in the moment where you could feel so wronged, you could feel like, I want vengeance for this. It's at that very moment that forgiveness is offered. And does that not emulate, imitate? Isn't that the shape of Christ in our witness? That right at the very point where we're being unfairly treated, or wronged in some way, or misunderstood some way, that in that very moment that we forgive as Christ has forgiven us, as Christ forgave us from the cross, we forgive others from our own cross? Well, could it be that through Stephen, we can take courage to look like Jesus, even when we suffer, even when we're hurt? Like Stephen, we can trace the shape of Christ in the life of our own witness. But is that the end of the story? No, it's not. God never wastes our struggles. He never wastes our pain. He never lets the blood of his saints fall without effect. So let's move on to the fifth way that Stephen's witness, but also our witness, is shaped like Christ. Let me read from uh, just the rest of our piece today, just a few verses from chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The fifth way that our witness is shaped like Christ is that it's always for others. Like Jesus, our suffering produces salvation witness. We don't always see how that happens. We don't always see what God is up to. Often what happens in the life of martyrs, in the life of Stephen, is the effects of their lives and their witness are not seen by them. Or at least they're only seen in faith. But because they trust God and they know God, He'll make it good. We can be confident as well that He'll make it good for us. We can trust Him. We have no idea how it happens, but we can trust that it always does because God is always at work. He's always able to use our witness as well as our suffering for the salvation of others. Now we see that in two ways here which are really challenging, I think. The first is, who's holding the coats? Stephen's being stoned. Who's holding the coats? A guy named who? Saul. Who later we also call Paul. Who became the greatest church planter and wrote most of the New Testament. He's holding the coats. While Stephen's being stoned and it says specifically, he approved of it. He was cheering them on. He's a psycho. Right? 
Well, sort of, he himself said, a bit of a, of a religious psycho. He was so zealous for God and so misinformed that he actually went about to try to destroy the church. This guy is holding the coats while Stephen himself is killed. And I have to believe that that is part of the way the Holy Spirit brought Saul around. That this witness of Stephen, as well as others, was burrowing into his brain, into his heart, into his mind. So that the day on Damascus Road when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus himself showed up and knocked him off his ass, onto his butt, uh, when the Holy Spirit showed up that day and the Jesus showed up that day, it was, it was a culmination of a witness that was happening we couldn't get away from. God uses the witness and the suffering of his people to bring others to Christ, even people like Saul, and he's done it again and again and again through history. But more than just Paul, more than just Saul, we see that great persecution results in expanded witness. And I already alluded to this at the start of the message, but here we go. It said very clearly, Luke does not want us to miss it. It was because of the persecution of the church in Jerusalem that, hello, they started witnessing in Judea and Samaria. We hadn't heard those places mentioned. Oh, we hadn't heard, we had heard it mentioned once before when Jesus said they would go there. But up to that point, they hadn't gone. It wasn't until they were persecuted that they began to expand. I love that last line. Those who were scattered preached the gospel, preached the word wherever they went. There's a a bit of an irony here. Saul's tried to destroy the church. (laughs) But uh, one writer said, trying to destroy the church is like trying to destroy a dandelion head by blowing on it. Which is why I, I featured a little dandelion in my opening picture. The witness that Jesus uh, promised would come when the Holy Spirit empowered them was now happening. These are five ways. I see the shape of Christ in Stephen's witness, but I also see them in our own. That as we minister to others in the name of Jesus, in the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we take even opposition as opportunity, willing to suffer as Christ has suffered, knowing that he will use our suffering and our struggle and our witness For the sake of others, lives will be changed as a result. And I take great encouragement from that, but also inspiration. Because you see, Stephen was the first of many, many more martyrs to come. And it's quite a study, actually, a deeply humbling study to read of the many Christians over the years who have ministered in the name of Christ, who have suffered in the name of Christ, and who've died as witnesses to Jesus down through the centuries right up to today each and every one of them, forming in their own lives the shape of Christ. To finish today, I'd like to share with you one modern-day story of Christian witness, a modern-day Stephen, this time coming out of North Korea. I want you to watch this story of how Pastor Han reveals Jesus through his life, through his death. And watch how the Holy Spirit continues his witness to inspire more people to find and follow him. Let's watch this. In the primary school, we were taught that all missionaries were terrorists. They told us that a missionary will be nice to you at first, but when they get you into their homes, 
then they will kill you and eat your liver. There was no food and no work in my village. Like some others, I snuck across the mountain border into China. I picked mushrooms in the hopes of selling them in Changbai. I don't speak Chinese at all. But in the mountains, I met a man. He said, I can sell those for you. And he didn't cheat me. He gave me all the money from the sale. At that time, I didn't know he was past the harm. Over the next two years, I went back several times. Each time, Pastor Han helped me. One day, I asked why he would do this, for he himself was in great danger for assisting a North Korea. It is because I am a Christian, he said. That made me afraid. Was he going to eat my liver? One day, Pastor Han said to me, God is real. There is hope for every person. I could not believe he would say that word. God, nobody says that word. We know it is an act of treason. To speak the name of God can lead to soldiers coming in the night. One day I asked Pastor Han for a Bible. He knew that if I was caught with a Bible, my life would be in danger. But over time, I persuaded him. I showed the Bible to my wife. At first, she refused to even look at it. Why would you bring that here, she cried. She knew that if anyone reported that you had even glanced at a Bible, you would be arrested, and not just you. You and all your relatives sent to the concentration camps for years and years and years.
Over time, my wife too learned that God is real. She found hope. And then I shared the word of God with my best friend. It was very dangerous for me to share. It was very dangerous for him to listen. One day in the summer of 2016, we heard that some North Korean assassins were being honored by the government, rewarded for their good work for killing a terrorist missionary in Shanghai. We knew it was Pastor Han. Who else could it be? We, we were frightened. Did they know he was my friend? Did they know I had met with him many times? Pastor Han gave his life, but he gave hope to me and to many other North Koreans. And despite the ever-present danger, Many of us will continue to share the message that God is real. We hope that our sacrifice, when the day comes, will be worthwhile, just like it was for Pastor Han. you but I find that incredibly challenging and inspiring from Stephen to Pastor Han and everywhere in between Christians have been shaped like Christ in their witness we have such a privilege to share the hope of Jesus with others and I think we can take courage in knowing the Holy Spirit will lead us through times of joy and times of suffering, to reveal his love to others. Will you stand with me as we pray in conclusion today? Lord Jesus, you were willing to come and reveal your Father to us through your life, through your teaching, but also through your suffering and your death and your resurrection. And you've called us to follow you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can point others to you, but also to emulate in our very lives your life, the way that you loved outcasts, the way that you welcomed sinners, the way that you accepted and cared, as well as the way you spoke strongly to those who needed to hear it and gently with those who needed it as well. And then in your suffering, Lord, in your willingness to go to the cross for, our, for us, die for us, we stand forever grateful 
forever in your debt. And now to hear that you, by your Spirit, are calling us to do the same for others. To help them see you. To help them discover the hope that we have in you. Thank you for the example of people like Stephen or like Pastor Han. That remind us that true hope, life, freedom, forgiveness is worth everything. Would you inspire us as a church, as your people, to continue to let you form in us the shape of Christ as we witness, as we share, as we love. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit now as we leave and would you inspire us to share your hope, your love with others. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.